Today on Hanging with Champions, we'll be hanging out with a two-time Olympian from speed skating. He's represented Canada on the international stage for 10 years. He's taken dead aim at becoming Canada's first ever 500-meter Olympic gold medalist. But for many, the story behind his Olympic spirit in Sochi has already elevated him to champion. He's a lover of guitars, magic, and Legos, and he's joining us from Calgary, Alberta. Gilmore Junio joins us today. So come on, hang with us on Hanging with Champions. And welcome back to Hanging with Champions, where every week we'll hang out with Olympic stars, past, present, and future. I'm Patrick Keenis from NBC Sports, the Olympic Channel, and Westwood One. And a reminder, you can hang out with us as well. Subscribe and get notified when the next Hang With Champions episode drops. So wherever you find your podcast, if it's on Apple or Google, iHeart, Pandora, TuneIn, Spotify, and Stitcher, we are there. And you can also leave some comments on our social channels, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Well, this week's show is a, it's a byproduct of kind of bouncing around from continent to continent. So if you're new to Hang With Champions, we have a feature later in the show called Who's Next? It's where today's Olympic guest recommends who they nominate to come on the show because of compelling background, a great story, or a personal fascination. So it's kind of a way to bring the Olympic community even closer together so the world can hear these untold stories from these incredible athletes that they think the world needs and deserves to hear. So here's the stitching that brings us to today's show. Several weeks ago, Canadian Evany Blondine, she's a long track speed skater, in the middle of a captivating story she was telling about tracking down her lost pet African parrot Gizmo, said that she'd love to hear more from Finland's Olympic speed skater, a four-time Olympian, Mika Putula, who she characterized as one of the funniest Olympians she had ever met. So thanks to the pandemic and the world of Zoom, a few weeks later, we connected with Mika all the way from Finland. We laughed about his stories of candy stuck in his speed skating suit, his inline skating from venues to airports with backpacks on his back. And then Mika said he wanted to hear more about the story of a Canadian speed skater colleague who embodies the Olympic spirit, perhaps more than anyone in our lifetime. And that person is here with us today. It is two-time Olympic speed skater from Canada, Gilmore Junio. And Gilmore, welcome to the show. And as you can see, you have a lot of people to blame for your appearance today. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> I'm good. How about yourself? Doing great. So first off, uh, any, any initial salvos to Evany or Mika <laughs> that lands you in the hot seat today? Yeah, you know what? I'm not surprised when I got the email from this that it was Mika that nominated me. Uh, we trained together for a couple of years and, you know, he was always a great guy to come around and I loved hearing his stories and I'm not surprised that you got some, you got to hear just a few from him and uh, it probably could have been a two hour podcast, maybe five <laughs> hours yeah. if you could tell all the stories that he, he has. But uh, yeah, I'm glad that uh, I'm able to join you today and hopefully I can be just, you know, Come, come, come close to as entertaining as me. <laughs> well, we're glad you're here. And did you talk with Evany? Did she give you any pointers or things to uh, be on the lookout for today? No, actually, I didn't talk to Evany about this. We've, we've been kind of in lockdown. We uh, got home from a camp about two weeks ago, and we were immediately put into um, a little bit of a lockdown for our team, uh, a little quarantine session. So we haven't had too much time to uh, talk to our uh, – because she's in the, the long-distance program, and I'm in the sprint program. So we haven't had too much time interacting and um, stuff. So um, I might have to uh, pick her brain after this and be like, well, why didn't you warn me about this? Yeah. 
If you haven't heard the story about her, you know, climbing on roofs and hanging from trees to get her, her uh, <laughs> African parrot gizmo, it's, it's worth the listen. By the way, have you ever, have you ever seen her parrot in person? Uh, I have maybe her like old one though. I, the one she had before a long time ago, but okay. I don't know this one might've been a newer one. So, okay. uh, I'd have to, All right. <laughs> I don't know where she's at in her birth collection. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just the stories we find out are just so amusing and, and, uh, just yeah. so compelling. So we're, we're, we're glad that, that she was able to get gizmo and, uh, draw us over yeah. to you through Mika. So first off, thanks yeah. for your time. And, and, and Gil, let's just kind of start off with what is the current state of the ISU long track speed skating season because it has been very fluid over these last few months. Where does it stand right now a couple of days after Thanksgiving? Yeah, so right now we're, um, we're getting ready. The ISU announced that we're going to have a, a bubble uh, in late January where we're going to have two World Cups that lead into the World Championships all in um, Herenveen in the Netherlands, which is in the north-north Netherlands, a uh, small town up in there. So, um, you know, we've been kind of just waiting to hear what's going to happen um just getting ready training at home and you know it, it's exciting to hear that we have some races on the horizon we realize you know it's um we could you know we're just waiting to see what the pandemic does but um you know we're we're excited that we at least have some sort of racing and competition in the future and talking to a lot of the um some of the guys overseas um you know they're excited as well just to see everyone and, and get racing again and do what we're you know what we love to do mm-hmm. against you know, the best in the world. And I know when we've talked on this program over the last few months with Evany and Vanessa Herzog and with Mika and some other uh, winter athletes, sticking to your sport in particular, how difficult is it to train for events that you know may or may not happen in what is a extremely critical year? Because this is your last full season of World Cup and international events before Beijing in 2022. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely been interesting. Um, you know, as far as our training programs, we've supplemented, you know, the lack of ice, um, long track ice with short track and in, in, in inlining, but, um, you know, it's nothing quite like actually skating long track. And so, um, you know, just trying to prepare for that, this, uh, you know, our season, you know, if it's going to happen or not has been interesting, you know, waking up, trying to motivate yourself to, to be ready and, and, and do the trainings and, um, especially when you have to be isolated from your coach and your team and you're just doing it by yourself in your garage, you know, that's hard, but, um, you know, I think looking at the big picture, like you said, this is that last season where, you know, we, we can get, you know, fine tune things for the Olympic year. You know, that's what we're always preparing for. That's what we want to, you know, we, we want to perform our best and, you know, this year, although it hasn't gone the way that we planned, you know, it's, yeah, looking at that big picture of the Olympics. So it's just, you know, t- creating those building blocks and those stepping stones that make us ready for then with the cars that we've been dealt. So when you say training in your house, training in your garage, training on the streets of the towns in which you live, yeah. is that what training is like for you, Gil? Uh, yeah, kind of. That's what, that's what it's looking right, like right now, for sure. We've, uh, you know, we have some great support from our Canadian Sports Institute. So uh, early on in quarantine and, you know, when we went into this lockdown right now, we were hooked up with some, you know, weights that we can have home gyms. But, uh, you know, for a warm up, we're just, I'm just warming out in the parking lot of our, our condo complex here. And, you know, I get a couple of looks when I hit the driveway and I'm just <laughs> doing maximum jumps. And uh, I live right across from a mall as well. So you, there's a, it's a lot of traffic uh 
you know, outside sometimes when I'm warming up or doing my workouts. So, um, but you know, that's, that's kind of, it's kind of been fun. You know, it's kind of like that Rocky style, Rocky movie, ro- right. Rocky movie vibes. So, uh, you know, so I you need of, some pretty high self-esteem and some thick skin, right? If you're out doing these high jumps and all of your training <laughs> a regimen on the corner or across the street from a Saks Fifth Avenue, right? Kind of, kind of, kind of. Yeah. That's uh, you just gotta, gotta put it in the back of your mind and say like, Oh, I'm doing something right. that looks cool or <laughs> hopefully this person's impressed by how high I jump. <laughs> so the fact that you're, you don't have the day-to-day interactions with your coaches and here we are in November and that a season could start in another six to eight weeks, potentially. Mm-hmm. How, how challenging does that make the training for you? Because you don't have the coach's eye looking over your shoulder. You're not on ice. You don't have stopwatches. It's kind of hard to kind of gauge where you are right now in the whole process, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of been the struggle for the whole year. But, um, you know, my coach has been great. He, he we keep in contact on a regular basis. And, you know, whether I'm doing workouts, um, you know, in the garage or out just in the field, um, you know, it's the great the part of technology is, you don't, you don't someone's only a phone call or a FaceTime or Zoom call away and um, just to get some input and, and face-to-face time is is been really valuable. But, um, you know, it's also in our condo complex, you know, we live with, in our, in our condo complex, there's like half of my team lives in this place. Okay. So that, that's been a little helpful when we can kind of just get together and, you know, um, shoot ideas off of each other and mm-hmm. be a little more collaborative that way of, you know, things we need to work on. Um, you know, when we're going to make our training time. So we're not just training by ourselves in our driveways. Um, you know, we're, you know, one or two people in a driveway. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's been a, a big help and, and not just relying on our coach because, you know, it's, it's a lot of things going on right now and uh, we got to all look out for each other. Well, Gil, you mentioned earlier about some, some problems with ice as well. And, you know, when we spoke with Vanessa Herzog, there are very few long distance speed skating ovals in Austria. So She's had to go over into Germany and into the Netherlands to, to keep training on some type of reg, uh, regular routine. And also with Mika in Finland, there are very few you know, ovals in which you can, you can train. For Canada, it's a little bit different, but you guys have run into some unusual obstacles there as far as there are ovals, but sometimes there are malfunctioned ovals. What, what does that mean and how has that impacted things? Yeah, you know, it's, I mean, 2020 is the year that just keeps on giving to us, I think. Uh, around September, uh, you know, the Calgary Olympic goal has been, you know, been a great facility since the 88 games. Um, it had a bit of a plant issue, a chiller issue. And so it's unable to freeze ice, which for an arena is a pretty big deal. Um, and as for yeah, track speed skaters, uh, is a massive deal. So, um, you know, they're still looking at the problem. They're, they got a great crew over there that are trying to find it, the, what the issue is. But, you know, with a building that's built back in the 1980s, um, there's a lot of issues for an aging building. So, you know, it's, um, we're kind of just waiting and, and to hear back. We did go up to uh, Fort St. John and they have an oval up there. But, um, you know, and it's a great facility, but, you know, our whole national team is based out in Calgary. That's where we are. And right. so to kind of relocate up there right now isn't, um, and just with the regulations with COVID, it isn't uh, quite feasible right, right. now. Um, so we're waiting for outdoor rice to get for it to happen. Um, you know, Red Deer is a city an hour and a half away from Calgary and they have uh, outdoor ice. So 
we're just waiting. We're just waiting and ready. We have our long track skates sharpened. We're any ice. We're just waiting for any ice. But and um, and you know, not to play devil's advocate here, but let's say the bubble does occur in the Netherlands here in several weeks. That could be one of the first times that all of you literally get back on the ice is before some of these huge events, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's that's could be quite the reality. And uh, you know, I think if that's the plan and things are going to move forward, I think after New Year's we're probably going to head over to Europe right away if the oval isn't ready, uh, just so we can get to the to the bubble or to the Netherlands or wherever, just to get on the ice and get ready for racing. Um, you know, I think we did a good job as a team. You know, we hadn't skated for two months. Then we went to Fort St. John to, for, for some ice. Uh, I think as a team, we did a great job of, you know, putting all that stuff behind us. And had, we had a great training camp. There was fast time skated. Uh, people really surprised themselves. And I think uh, that uh, gives us a lot of confidence uh, going into like a bubble where we haven't had mm -hmm. quite as much ice as we've wanted to. But, um, you know, I think as a Canadian speed skating, we're, we're always ready for a challenge. <laughs> Visiting with uh, Gil Junio, two-time Olympian, long track speed skater from Canada. And uh, Gil, I guess it, it, when you're 30 years old, you've been to two Olympics in Sochi and in Pyeongchang, you, the length of your career is certainly shrinking. So for you personally, how hard has it been for you to internalize the fact that in this last full season before Beijing, that everything's breaking down, right? The, the, the world's breaking down. You can't go where you need to go. You can't train when you need to train. You don't have coaches nearby. And whether or not Beijing may be the last Olympic opportunity for you, that all of these roadblocks are being thrown up in front of you before what could be the end in Beijing. Yeah, you know, I hadn't really thought about it like that. Um, you know, I've been lucky to have a long career in speed skating. And, um, you know, as far as, you know, I kind of decided a couple of years ago that, you know, I, I, you know, I want to accomplish a lot in the sport and yeah, my, my time in speed skating is, is coming to an end and, um, there's still things that there's still things I want to accomplish for sure. But, um, you know, I look at the next generation and, you know, when I was coming up, I had great mentors and great people to mm -hmm. help me become a, a better speed skater. And, you know, I kind of took the onus on myself to, you know, be an older skater, um, and help out the younger generation. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's not competitions this year and, you know, the Olympic preparation, is maybe a bit compromised, but you know, my goals of, you know, what I want to accomplish in speed skating and this year haven't changed. I want to make sure that, um, you know, we're setting up the next generation, uh, next, the young guys for, you know, successful careers. And, and that's passing along the knowledge that I got from Danny Morrison, from Mika, from Jamie Gregg, from Jeremy Witherspoon. And, you know, that's, that's kind of helped me stay motivated at this time. Um, with every with you know competition and this year in general being kind of scuffed, um, but yeah, for sure I think yeah. it's just something that uh, at least that part's kept me motivated this year. Sure. Well, one last question about kind of this topic, and then we'll move on to your your childhood and your family that we don't know a whole lot about. Sure. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> we've talked with other athletes over the course of of this summer, especially in relation to the the Winter Olympic Games in Beijing and because there are no prize monies being handed out, because the sponsorship dollars may be less, and because of all the other income that you guys derive by being on the ice just isn't there, the government assistance from all these countries is minimal in a lot of cases, that it's forced several athletes into almost early retirement because they just can't make ends meet. Not the case for you, but have you heard this to be a reality across your sport or other Olympic sports? 
Yeah, for sure. I think there's definitely been, you know, at least I can think of one speed skater on the team. That's, you know, the, the pandemic and just the situation of everything happening um, has altered his plans. So he wanted to go to, you know, he's decided to retire and, and pursue other things. Um, and, I, and, you know, it's definitely in reality. It's when you're kind of aren't able to do the things you want to do at the, the way you want to do it. Right. Right. And without the lack of income, it's definitely, you know, hard to motivate. And, you know, it's definitely that's coming across my head where it's like, okay, looking at this year and then looking at next year, it's like, what am mm-hmm. I preparing for? Um, but again, looking yeah. at my goals of just the Olympics and what I want to accomplish with the team, uh, that's the stuff that's kept me motivated. But, mm-hmm. you know, I completely understand with for the the perspective that those athletes are coming from. And yeah. it's not an easy thing. Uh, well, I mean, uh, how, being, how uh, are the athletes professional speed skater? But. I mean, how are, how are athletes in general, again, not specific to you unless you want to go there, but how are you guys surviving financially during this pandemic and the lack of opportunities to make yeah. that money doing the sports that you love? Yeah. I mean, I've been, I've been lucky to have sponsors um, that have supported me and have, you know, reached out, uh, this year and, and still wanted to support me, even though right. they ha- there aren't speed skating, they won't see the logo on the suit. Um, and I, you know, I've been lucky that way, but for sure for, you know, athletes that are relying on that prize money, it's maybe a bit harder. Um, and, uh, you know, I think a lot of athletes have kind of got creative with ways of just, uh, reaching out and reaching up audience on Instagram or YouTube or, Twitch, whatever it may be, you know, you see a lot more athletes gaming on Twitch, including myself, uh, or on Instagram, reaching out, doing workouts and stuff like that. And I think that's, you know, it's relied on people getting creative. Um, and that goes across all aspects of, of life. Yeah. Now, while this is a, an audio only podcast for everybody out there listening, you would be uh, amazed at the whole setup that the, uh, the Gil has right now in his bedroom, because we chatted before this began <laughs> that Gil is a Twitcher. He is streaming and, you know, he has the microphone and the headphones and, you know, I don't know if it's a soundproof room or, or what, but it's an impressive uh, outfit you got laid out. Yeah. And I think, I don't know if Mika kind of got into it, but we're both kind of gearheads. We love our cameras. <laughs> we love our audio and stuff. So it's something that I kind of got built up over the course of quarantine where, yeah, gaming was a way to keep in touch with people and, you know, not have quarantine and lockdown feel so alone. And just as, you know, things start to progress, I got like an, you know, audio interface. I got the mic, I got the headphones, the camera came in a bit later. And this is something that's built up over the since March. And so, uh, yeah, Mika can attest that we're both that I'm a gearhead and love electronics and I love, you know, trying to min max things. And Mm -hmm. this is kind of how the setup came up. And I think that that probably lends itself to my gaming as well. And, you know, min maxing things and the, the, um, the mindset of an athlete definitely when you go into gaming gets pretty competitive. So (laughs) it's been a good outlet that way as well. Have you always (laughs) been a gamer? I mean, was this, can we trace this back to the roots when you're seven, eight, nine years old, or has it only been as you've had a little bit more adult free time in this sport? Uh, I've always been a gamer. My parents (laughs) bought my brother and I the Nintendo when we were younger. And then we had the Sega Genesis playstations and um, it was, yeah, it was something that's always, I've really enjoyed. And um you know, being able to kind of disconnect and get involved with a story yeah, yeah. is kind of, you know, I don't read books, but I find my mm. fiction and fantasy and stuff mm. in video games. So uh, <laughs> I actually, the books that I do read are more audio autobiographies and, and biographies. So um, 
Yeah, my the, the fantasy stuff, that's all in the video games that I play. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you're a Major League Baseball fan, but a, a good friend of mine, Blake Snell, who's with a left-handed pitcher oh, yeah. with the Tampa Bay Rays, yep. he came through Durham at AAA several years ago, and uh, he's now turned into a really big twitch. I think uh, – I'm trying to think what, what the major game that he plays, but it's a way for him to kind of just decompress after a game in a hotel overnight and really interact with a lot of people around the country and around the world – they may not know it's Blake Snell, but at some point he's a talker. <laughs> he, uh, he he's not bashful about saying things. I think they they will figure it out at some yeah. point or another. So maybe you'll come across him at some stage. But it, it's a way for him to really kind of, um, yeah. you know, j- just just be a regular dude. You know. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's, I mean, that's the one thing I love. It's uh, one of the actually guys that I game with a bunch. He's the Zamboni driver at the Oval. And, you know, it's just like, yeah, he's the guy that uh, makes sure that we can skate and I'm the Olympian. But at the same time, we're just regular guys. Um, You know, right now we're playing World of Warcraft and, you know, he's a lot better at the game than I am. So I'm I'm the one looking up to him right now. And, uh, you know, it's kind of the roles reversed there. So, you know, it's it's just, yeah, been a good way to keep keep in touch with people, stay connected, have a bit of community as, um, you know, we're, you know, hanging out with ourselves a little more (laughs) during quarantine. So, uh, yeah, I've been... I can't, you know, it's, it's funny when I go and do like uh, classroom talks, it's like, what's your hobby deal? I play a lot of video games. You probably don't want to hear that <laughs> teachers, but as far as community and, and, and interaction go, it's been pretty awesome. <laughs> if you do play with other Olympic athletes, where would you rank? I mean, who are some of the other top gamers? Oh my gosh. And this will probably, it's going to come up again later because, but uh, the Olympic gold medalist uh, in the 500 meter, uh, Hovar Lorenzen, he's somebody mm-hmm. that uh, I game with a bunch in, in Call of Duty. And it's, it's, it's so funny because we're, we're, uh, he's on the other side of the world and he and I used to train together, but um, you know, he'll just send me a text around. It almost <laughs> comes in like clockwork some weeks, 1130, 12 o'clock. I'll get a text from Hovar saying, what's up buddy and i immediately know where it's gonna go and it's just like all right hey i can be on in 30 minutes i'll see you online <laughs> and, and, and it's been great because that's the way he and i have been able to keep in touch because we haven't been able to see each other yeah. obviously because races have been um uh going but uh mm-hmm. to say that i uh i carry we there's it's, it's a gaming term carry uh hovar or Lori as i like to call him two wins is is not not untrue (laughs) where i you know i say laurie get on my back oh we're gonna get we're gonna win this game so would he would he say the opposite (laughs) oh he say gil jump on my back i'll carry to the line uh maybe maybe some days but uh you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna leave maybe you can ask him that because i don't want to throw him under the bus but got it uh, got it i mean so i so (laughs) that whole that whole world to me is still fairly new is there money to be made in this i mean with tournaments and competitions or is this more just you know guys hanging out playing a game together for no other higher purpose if you're really good yeah there's absolutely a lot of money to be made but for us the guys like me and laurie and uh yeah we play just for fun and community and just hanging out and guys and (laughs) You know, that guy's making fun of another just for bad decisions and just chirping and <laughs> a lot of banter. And that's the stuff I love. I grew up playing hockey. And so that, yeah. like, you grill your buddies as hard as you can until they can't take it anymore. And then, you know, you won. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's the, like the battle within the battle. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did want to get into your, into your childhood and your family, Gil. Visiting with the Gil Junio, two-time Olympian, long tracker, representing Canada. Grew up in Calgary. That's where he is right now. And let's talk a little bit about, about your parents and siblings, if you have them. I know you're of 
uh, Filipino and Canadian descent. So what do you know about your parents and how, how they met and uh, how they wound up in Canada? And Yeah, um, I think, well, yeah, my family are Filipino immigrant, immigrants. Um, they came to Canada in the, in the 70s. Um, it's actually really funny. The first, the only city my dad knew of um, when he was coming over here was Winnipeg, Manitoba, which if you don't know Winnipeg, Winnipeg, Manitoba, it's one of the coldest cities in the world. It's registered the coldest temperatures numerous years. And um, yeah, but it was the only city that he'd ever heard of. And that's my mom went there for to extend your education. My dad went there to work and they met there and um, uh, they moved to Calgary in the 80s. And they had um, I have a half sister. My dad had a marriage prior and unfortunately his wife passed away. Um, and then he met my mom. So I have a half sister. I have a sister, uh, a brother, a uh, brother, and then I'm the youngest. And um, my brother and my sister were all born uh, here in Calgary. Um, and yeah, we've resided here. And, you know, I think for my parents, it, it's really funny. I don't think uh, my mom has an athletic bone in her body. Um, she's a very small and very <laughs> cute woman that just, you know, just does everything for her family. Um, you know, she'll dance. She's a dancer. She loves dancing. Uh, on the spot, <laughs> just to music. Uh, my dad, he never really grew up playing sports. He, you know, we tease him because he's like, the only sporting I ever did was playing uh, baseball in the sugarcane fields with some of his buddies. Wow. Um, and but the thing I think they they gave me the most of all is just the work ethic to um, to put in, you know, uh, to put in speed skating or anything that my brother and my sister and I decided to do. Um, it was something that it was an example like my my dad and my mom growing up they would um my mom would go to work come home and immediately start studying to kind of further on her education and then my dad would always come home at six o'clock like you go to work at seven thirty, come home at six o'clock just working long hard days and then be right ready to take my brother and my my brother and i to hockey practice or my sister music lessons and it's just like working that hard for something and their big goal was always family. And so working that hard for something to create something was something that I took along into like school and speed skating and well, and ho hockey first and then speed skating. And um, yeah, I think that's just something that I got from my parents, even though they did get, maybe didn't give me the amazing genetic ability to speed skate. Well, hopefully uh, your mom gave yeah, you the, no, the dancing gene. Uh, <laughs> what, what, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did, did she? I, I think people would say she did. I think probably I got my dancing dancing bug from my from my sis, from my mom. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so my sister, she. Oh yeah, I was like just for my siblings. My sister and my sister like the most type A person I've ever met. Overachiever, you know, um, all straight A's through school and university, and just like her her success she's had in the world of business has just been such like an inspiration mm -hmm. for me. Again, she's taken taking the hard work and dedication from my parents and my brother's engineer. He grew up playing hockey, and you know my brother. He was the one that really challenged me in my athletic, my like athletics, because you know being the older brother, you always want to jump higher, run faster, right. you know do everything better. And he was just such an athlete that I always was pounded to the ground. So <laughs> I think I can thank him a bit in my athletic development mm -hmm. because it just gave me so much resilience and so much grit to like try to beat my brother every day when like room days i just go home after playing street hockey crying because he like scored a million yeah. goals on me <laughs> and being like i'm gonna be better tomorrow and then 
you know, next day he only scores one last goal. So that was always improvement. <laughs> so, so I, I did read, you know, hockey was one of the first sports you played when you're about six or seven years old, but you, you claimed you were too small to continue. And then uh, your dad was the one who then recommended short track to you. Uh, t- take us back into that time period. I mean, how badly did a seven-year-old Gil Junio want to be in the NHL playing for the Calgary Flames a decade later? Oh man, so bad. I mean, I loved hockey. Um, and then, you know, I loved being on that team and being on the ice. And it's funny. I always say that I was too small to play hockey, but then of course, who is on the Calgary Flames right now, one of the smallest, if not the smallest player in the league, Johnny Goudreau. So now I have to just resort to saying I wasn't good enough, (laughs) but, um, you know, kind of, uh, it was awesome too, growing up, um, watching the flames um you know joe mcginlan was our captain he was our best player and just to have like that example of somebody like i'm you know filipino descent grew up in the suburbs of calgary there's just a bunch of white kids and you know all the kids on my team were white but then having our best player on our team be joe mcginlan you know african-american african um was such a like an inspiration so that really inspired me of like you know i can achieve greatness in sport um you know, and then there was hockey at first and I wanted to be good. I played on, you know, our best community teams. Um, but then, you know, I think it was my dad, I saw an ad on TV, uh, when I was like 13 to, uh, for like a trying speed skating thing, mm-hmm. uh, ID camp. And he, maybe he was fearing for my safety or, you know, <laughs> wanting me to try something else, but I was always a good skater on our teams. I was one of the fastest kids and, um, yeah, I went to that camp and it was kind of just like hit the ground running. Uh, one of the coaches there saw that I had potential, said I should sign up in the club in September. And uh, that year I speed skated and played hockey. And I just kind of fell in love with mm-hmm. A, the community in speed skating on how supportive it was. It was yeah. vast different. It was very different from like the entire community of hockey. And um, you know, it was something that just like hooked me. And then I saw some progression that first year where I almost made nationals. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to pursue this and see where this goes. And I had friends in there already. And I was like, okay, hey, I'm, I'm full bore. And like, yeah, I've been doing speed, like I've been speed skating for 17 years now, but it's actually felt like the fastest road and just a blur. And, um, you know, speed skating has given me the world and I'm, you know, I'll be forever grateful for the sport for that opportunity. So take us back to the transition because there was a, there's a, a major injury uh, that, that yeah. impacted your future, your voyage on the ice, whether it was short track to now long track as the two-time Olympian. And I believe it happened back in 2010. Uh, can you fill in the blanks on what happened? Yeah, 2009. 2009, because yeah. at that stage, you were maybe the, the fastest 500-meter uh, short tracker in Canada. Is that correct? As a junior? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was definitely something, you know, that, that, that whole – those years were crazy. Um, you know, as I developed from when I started speed skating in 2013, I was, yeah, like you said, primarily a short tracker and I found like success really quick, you know, nationals, I was winning medals. And then, you know, as a 17 year old, I started skating, um, you know, the senior trials, senior national team trials and, um, you know, went to the Canada winter games, which is our big, you know, under 19 competition. It's like a Canada Olympics and I placed really well there. And so that whole thing leading into the, last two years of me as a junior so under 20 or under 19 um i really wanted to make the junior junior worlds team and you know travel through the junior world championships and you know that my last season um you know i was placing really well in senior trials and i pretty much just had to show up to the competition to the junior trials and skate the way i could you know 
probably win the 500 meter. You know, I would say I was probably going to win the 500 meter and then have enough points just to make the team. Um, but two weeks prior, <laughs> one of my best friends to this day, I still say he's one of my best friends. He took me out on a race and I went head first into the boards and broke a fractured two vertebrae in my back. And um, coming home from that uh, competition, obviously I couldn't skate two weeks later at our junior, jun the short track junior world championships. Um, but luckily for me, um, the long track, short, sorry, short track junior world championships, lucky for me, the long track junior trials were a month and a half later. And so that the time my recovery was all just based around being prepared to compete at the long track. So it's a month and a half of learning a new sport, not only recovering from the injury, but learning a new sport, trying to figure out racing, you know, figure out the technique and, um, yeah, you know, like, like I said, that whirlwind, things happen real fast because, you know, a month and a half, made the team a month later. Or then I went to the Olympics 2010. I went to the Olympics as a spectator for like a, mm -hmm. a couple of days. So then went to, uh, saw that, came home, gone on a plane to Moscow or for Berlin and then Moscow to compete at the Junior World Championships, came home, got named to the national team. And then my first training session was just like in awe because at my first training session, I saw like Denny Morrison who I literally saw win a gold medal at the Olympics. And I was like, what is happening? And then it's just like full steam ahead. I'm his teammate four years later, Sochi, four, another four years, Pyeongchang, two years later here. And it's just like, wow, what a, what a roller coaster. Cause that coming in for those, like that month and a half after my injury, that's actually looking back, probably one of the most proud, that's probably one of my biggest accomplishments, most proud thing that I've, overcome was that like transition that injury and transition into long track speed skating and able to turn that into two olympics is definitely like one of the things i'll be most proud about because yeah i mean it was i could have given up um on the hospital a bit of being like yeah i'm done speed skating i'm just gonna go to school but um you know watching those olympics and and like just seeing everything like i i wanted to be on the ice and speed skating at the games and i just really reminded myself of like my goals and you know to this day i'm such like a believer in proper goal setting and um yeah and like just sticking to it and keeping at it because eventually like your time will come so you mentioned your best friend who took you out on the short track and led <laughs> to that injury have you let him and you haven't named him by the way have you have you let yeah. him out of the doghouse <laughs> you know what it's, it's hilarious because like it's, i i game with him a lot sometimes and um i'll be like his name's rob and i'll be like like bobby what are you doing it's like, man, this is like the worst thing you've done to me since like you broke my back. And he's like, no, breaking your back was the best thing I, that has ever happened to you. So he's like, it was the biggest blessing I could ever use. It's my gift to you. So you owe me for the rest of your life. <laughs> like, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> it's all perspective, right? It's all perspective. Be, because I guess the, the question could be turned around and said, you know, were you as determined of, as a 20-year-old, as a short tracker to reach you know reach all of your goals and the pinnacle of your sport versus the determination you are now as a long tracker um mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know where you fall on 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 that question but you know where do where do you think you, you could mean, have gone as a short tracker were you as oh. committed to it then as you are now as a long tracker you know what it's it's really that's a really well deep question because i initially on that first year that i was on the national team for long track you know, I thought I was just going to, you know, get my funding for a year. I was going to get booted off the team because I wasn't good. I was going to go back to short track and like slug it out to be, to be there again. 
um, to amongst the national team and stuff like that. And you know what? I have no idea where I would have ended up actually if I didn't find long track and, um, you know, really put pour myself into that because, you know, short track is such like a up and down, you know, there's, there's guys that have been there for a long time, like Charles Hamlin mm-hmm. or, um, you know, Victor, Victor on, but I mean, for me, it's like, I could have gone anywhere from the sport. I could have fizzled out in that, that first year as a 20 year, one year old or 20 year old, or I could have been really good. Um, I have no idea. Even uh, it was funny in that first year, my short track coach was still trying to get me to come back and, you know, skate. But I was like, you know, I got, I got to write out my funding. I got to actually like compete and just <laughs> at least, at least show that I'm trying to be on the national team for long track. And yeah, it's just, it just worked out that I, you know, made the team the next year and I never, I just never went back to short track. So yeah. I have to answer your question. I have no idea where I would have been um, if I'd be going to the Olympics for short, short track or yeah. if I would have quit at the age of 22, because yeah. short track in Canada is crazy. Yeah. It is a crazy, crazy um, competition and very, it's a lot different than long track for sure. sure. Yeah. Well, I guess, I guess the good news is we, we don't need to guess. We don't need to speculate. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, you know the, the, the future has been paved and you've been skating on it in long track for the last seven, you know, seven, eight, nine years and yeah, uh, yeah. accomplishing some amazing things. And let's kind of stick, stick to the chronology here because so, so now it's, it's the early 2012, 13 season. You have a couple of years of learning the sport, which mm-hmm. it doesn't sound like you really knew much about it after, until the transition took place. But in 2013 in Salt Lake City, when your first World Cup gold, mm-hmm. you, tie, you tie for gold with uh, Joji Kato of Japan. And the guy who finishes third in that race is Michelle Mulder, who a year later would win the Olympic gold in Sochi in the 500. Mm-hmm. So at that stage in 2013, as you're out on the track with like a, a near personal best, it may have been at that stage of, what, 34 yeah. to something. Yeah. Um, what, what did that tell you about holy cow, wh- wh- how far you've come in a couple of years and what a, what the trajectory of your future in the sport could be. Yeah. I mean, that, that was an interesting competition for sure because, um, yeah, going in and leading in, up into that competition, like the years, like the first year I was like, I was just happy to be in the top. I think I was like in the top 25. I was like, wow, this is amazing. I'm a 20 year old and ranked in the top 25. And my goal that season was just like to stay, you know, stay in the top of like the B group and maybe mm-hmm. skate a couple of A groups and stay in that top 20. The next season, it's like, okay, I want to skate more A groups. And then that season, I don't think I only skated one B group. And I was like, okay, like this is trending in the right direction. Mm-hmm. I'm going to aim for top 10 this year. And I, yeah, I finished like, I think I finished like 11th or something. I was like, oh, pretty good for my second year. Third year going into this 2013 season, I was like, hey, I just want to skate well and you know we kind of had that build up and started starting in canada where like you know sponsors the olympic committee is trying to put together the potential athletes going to go to the olympics and uh you know i was amongst one of them and i thought like okay this is starting to get a little real and then come when that gold medal when i was like standing there it was actually funny because i tied for that medal like you said and joji who's a legend olympic um, medalist and just like an all-around great skater good guy he let me stand in the middle so it looks like I'm like in, in any of the pictures it looks like I'm the one that just like won the gold medal you let know that he was there but um yeah and like being around Joji and Michelle I was like holy crap these guys are they're studs like these guys are some of the best skaters and you know I beat them this day and that, then then things got real like I was like I think the next day you know, the Olympic committee, the, the CBC Olympics and the Olympic committee like tweeted something about me 
And, um, you know, my coach was like, all right, you're, you're in it now. You're in the thick of it. And like all it takes is one day like this at the Olympics and you have a gold medal or a medal. And, um, you know, that was, that was an interesting time. And, you know, one of my teammates at the time, my biggest like mentor, maybe Jamie Gregg, you know, he was like, okay, you're, we're, we're at par now. Like I'm going to hold you accountable to everything just so that I hold myself accountable. And that was a big shift as well. So, um, you're not just, he's like, you're not just that young gun anymore. You're the guy. And so that was kind of things switching over into trying to be a professional speed skater in, in a sense. And, um, yeah, so that was like that. I mean, that, I'll remember that week forever because that was that was super cool. <laughs> so, so walk us then to the Olympic trials for Team Canada because so much was going on then. You are now a a known commodity. Uh, whether you're expected to make the team, you can kind of explain if you were or when, and what the pressure was like. Yeah. But there were also some other things going on behind the scenes, especially in the thousand meter race as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd probably say I was expected to make the team as long as I had a good race there and did what I needed to do. And I'd probably say the, the 500 meter was on the first day of our Olympic trials. And I'd probably say it went as you'd expect. I think for a lot, for everyone on the outside looking in of just like, okay, Jamie, Jamie, my teammate will probably win. I'll give him a close running. And then, you know, it's, it was really close at the, you know, for the last, uh, three, four spots. Uh, Jeremy Witherspoon was in there. Uh, I think the last couple spots were only separated by like thousands of a second or hundreds of a second or something like that. So, um, you know, that it's funny cause I'll, you know, if you go into 2018 Olympic trials, very big differences. I went to 2014, like as just another competition, whatever, you know, I'm just going to skate see what happens. 24, 2018, I was an absolute wreck. You know, I remember actually like looking at my coach and kind of bursting into tears at that time and being like, what am I doing? But yeah, 2014, that those 500 meter went to as planned. Uh, two days later, we just at the thousand meter and, um, that day was a little crazy for sure because I'm, I'm not a thousand meter skater. I mean, I'm like good inside Canada, but as far as the world, like I just like drop off too much at the end of the race. And so I was like kind of an earlier pair. And I remember there was just like so many ice delays, um, just like weird things happening, like people falling, ice delays. And I was, I remember, I, I just, the only thing I remember was like, I was on the ice longer than I expected to be on the ice before I raced but um you know I think coming off the 500 I was just like so high on just you know skating well that I you know had a decent race and then going to the last pair I was third and then um and with only Denny Morrison who was our biggest our best thousand meter guy you know historically one of our better skaters and uh Will Dutton he was a who's well, like a year older than I am. He's a, he was a rising skater at the time. And um, it was insane. I remember just like, it was the, just the biggest, it felt like all the air in the oval went out of the building. And I was like, what happened? And it was Denny fell on the front stretch with 50 meters to go. And that was like unbelievable. He was supposed to be our guy going to the Olympics and he fell at the trials. Um, and then Will in that race finished fourth. So I ended up finishing third. And um, he had a re-race. Danny had to re-race his race so that he could at least, you know, be in the running still. And he finished fifth, which got him into the alternate spot. But I kind of at that trials, it was just like, there was so much going on in the, in the building at that time. And I remember looking at my teammates saying like, 
you know what? Like, I don't want to race it. Like I'll give my spot to Denny at the Olympics to race the thousand meter. And I remember her kind of like being like, Shh, be quiet. Like, don't say that right now. We don't know how things are going to hold up. Just you have your spot at the Olympics, be happy. And like, just think you're going to race the thousand meter at the Olympics. And then I, yeah, that's what I did for a month. I was like, I'm going to skate the thousand meter at the Olympics, be prepared. I'm going to go to the 500 meter. That's my best race. And, um, yeah, uh, at the Olympics, I didn't win, uh, had an okay race. I finished 10th, but it definitely wasn't the result I was hoping for. Um, and that day, uh, at the Olympics, I kind of, was in a, a very, pretty somber mood. And I was like, my goal going into this whole thing was give a medal moment to Canada. And at that time I was like, I'm with the whole drama of like Danny falling and stuff. Like, I feel like he should be the one skating. And so I sent him a text message, asked him if he was ready for um, a thousand meter in two days. <laughs> and uh, he said, yes. And um, the rest is kind of history. He won a silver medal. So I don't know if I was supposed to get into that part, but it kind of just like led, led, yeah. Snowballed led, you, into that. Part. You led to it perfectly. And, and I guess the, yeah. the <laughs> item of the story that I didn't know was that even on the day of the Olympic trials uh, in the thousand in Canada, that this had already crossed your mind. This was not simply yeah. a February 10th in 2014 decision. No, you know, it, it's funny because I think a lot of people on the outside looking in are like, oh, he was, he was voluntold to do it. You know, his coach is like, and I say I had a conversation with my coach and a lot of people immediately lean into like his coach. He was a 21 year old or 24 year old kid and his coach told him to do it. And I'm like, no, that's so far from the truth. Cause on the day at the Olympics, at our Olympic trials, when I said like, oh, I'll give, I want to give daddy my spot. Like I'll just give him my spot. And my, my teammate said like, don't say that, like stay quiet. And it's probably for my safety because if my coach heard me say that at the time, he was like this old school American coach from St. Louis, very <laughs> just like, you know, tough, old school. And it was like, if he heard me say that, he'd probably kick my butt. <laughs> so it was almost out of safety for me to be like, okay, yeah, I'm going to skate the thousand meter. And then when you, when I had this conversation with my coach at the games, when he was just like, all right, like, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. Would you ever consider getting down your spot? I'm like, oh man, well, if my coach thinks like, if my coach is thinking this and I've already thought this, like mm-hmm. this decision's already done. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it was like, yeah, it was so easy. And like, we were all coached. Denny and I were coached by the same coaches and we had created such a great culture with our team and our group. We were like, we were like brothers and family and our team goal was to get medals at the games and to do that as like a team and, and together, I think perfectly summed up that four years. Um, for those four years, like that silver medal and Danny will say it now, like I said that after that silver medal, I think perfectly encompasses what our team was. It was like just a group of guys that group of guys and girls that wanted the best for each other. And that was accomplishing our goals of winning a medal for Canada at the Olympics. And, you know, it, it was just, yeah, that was an awesome, awesome group of people. Four years, I won't forget. It just seems like such a unique mindset for a team and especially for you as a person because I can't think of many other athletes whose first first reaction to making an Olympic team and maybe certainly not their best distance but who 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 does that who says you know instead of racing two races the Olympics I only want to race one let's give it to somebody else I can't think of really anybody else who would be that generous unselfish and aware of the circumstances to have that 
thought at that moment and to immediately think about somebody else? Yeah. I mean, I think it kind of goes back though for, for myself to 2010 and talking about that, like in, in 20, going back to 2010 and 2009, where like I was injured and almost quit speed skating mm-hmm. and then, you know, falling into long track and then watching the Olympics and seeing what that event did to Cal- to get to Canada over the, you know, those two weeks and, and beyond. Like it was the energy in the country was unbelievable. You know, everyone was watching the Olympics. You go through it like a six list, a six channel list of just like Olympic events. And it was just, it was just so amazing. And I remember watching Denny, it was actually Denny's team pursuit event with, you know, Matt Giroux and Lucas Mikowski. They won gold. And I remember watching them skate around the ice with the flag on their back. And I'm like, that's what I want to do. That's what it like. It was such like an energy for the whole country being like, we can do anything. Like Canadians aren't just like supposed to be these polite people. We're awesome. <laughs> We're, we can win. We like to win and we can do it in style. And it was like, it gave us the permission to have a little swagger, you know? And, and I was like, mm-hmm. and I just like had that energy in my head and that's what motivated me. And I'm like, and that's what I want to give back to the team. That whole four years was like that swagger of like, we're, we're Canadian and we're Canadian speed skaters. And we're, we're like, we're pretty awesome. We're, we won't tell you we're awesome, but we're pretty awesome. <laughs> you know, and, and in that moment at the games when I'm like, you know, we need to keep this swagger going and, you know, we, it's our team. Like, this is our team. We can't just like, let this go. We have, we have a responsibility to Canada, to our team. Mm-hmm. And like, that's, that's just, it was just such an easy decision for me. Like, I don't know, it, people blow it up and people are like, well, what, you know, it's such a crazy decision. And I'm like, no, it's just, it's just what yeah. I believed. It's what our team believed. It was our culture. And like, it was just so ingrained in my head for four years, mm-hmm. like, four years of this, like being like being in my head of like, I want to give Canada a mental moment, give Canada a mental moment. Our team's going to give Canada a mental moment. And we did it. <laughs> and, and you did it in a, in a current society where it's all about me. You know, it's all about my winning, you know, not my country. It's about me, I, I want to win gold. And, and you did not take that mindset, which is just so, so admirable and noble and selfless uh, in a society where it's all about being selfish and that seems to be accepted. But I wanted to ask a couple more questions about this. Um, sure. did, did you, was there, despite the coaches maybe having the same mindset that you did about perhaps giving up your thousand meter slot to Denny, were you worried when he sent that text, when he hit enter and send? that you might get a little bit of pushback from Denny saying, no, you, you earned it. You deserve it. You race. And then, and then when you're watching him race in the thousand, uh, finishing four, four hundreds behind uh, Stefan Grudhaus, who won gold, um, where, where were you watching that race from? And did you feel like, I mean, you had to have felt like this is partly my medal, our medal for team Canada, but you were the you're in the driver's seat made this happen yeah it's really funny that you say like was i ever worried that denny would give me pushback one thing i loved about denny and i still love love about denny is just how confident he is in everything he does whether you know i'm sure he has his doubts and stuff but when he's when he's doing something he's just ultimate confidence so when i sent that text message it actually was a relief for that i actually got it out to him like all right. Because in my back of my mind, I was like, there is zero chance Danny says no to this. But it was funny because when we go to the Olympics, we get these Russian phone numbers from the Olympic committee. Mm. So he sent me back this like, he said, who is this? And it sent a long, very media friendly answer. Like I've always been ready. I'm, this was part of the plan. I've been training for it. 
And then I'm like, oh, by the way, this is Gilmore. <laughs> like, and he's, and he's like, and then it was, it, was, it, was, it was me. He's like, wait, are you offering? And I'm like, yeah, man, I think you can actually win a medal. Like I have a lot of confidence in you. And then he was just like, he went completely non-media friendly. There was explicit, explicits in the next couple of messages. <laughs> and then I was at the Canada Olympic house with my family, kind of in that 20 minute window, window of sending that text message and getting to the Olympic house. And he had like, he was in bed, I think. And he, but he got out of bed and went to the Olympic house to come find me because he said he wanted to hear it from my mouth. And, you know, that night was super special because I was with my family and then Denny was with his family on the, I was with my family on the second floor. His family was there on the first floor. And as I was coming down the stairs, it was kind of like that junior high dance when like a guy and a girl are like, should I talk to him? Should I not talk to him? I don't, I don't know. Like, and we kind of did this weird thing and we hugged and he's like, man, I'm so ready. And like, when I gave him a hug, he was like vibrating. Like, and I was like, he was so excited. He probably spent 10 minutes at the Olympic house and like, I was like, I got a race in two days. And, um, but yeah. And then on the thousand meter day, I remember like taking my seat in the corner. I got a pretty good seat, got there early. And, um, I was on, I remember I was on this railing and when Danny was racing, I don't think I was like so nervous. Like I was, I think I was more nervous for like his race than I was for like my race. And it's funny. Cause like, I don't think, um, I talked to my roommate at the time, Jamie Gregg, and he's like, he's one of the guys that knows me the best. And he's like, he knows everything about my skating. I modeled my skating after him. Everything about like who I am as a speed skater, he knows. And um, so I was like, oh, he's talking about giving my spot to Danny. I'm like, man, like I'm pretty confident with this decision because I don't know if we even know if I would have finished in the top 20 at the Olympics in the thousand meter. And he like looked at me, he's like, dude, top 20, try top 30. <laughs> I don't know if you finish in the top 30 at the games with your thousand meter. I'm like, all right, fair enough, man. That, that's, that's a fair comment. <laughs> so on that day, I was, like, I was just hoping for Denny to, you know, skate his best race. In my mind, I was like, if Denny finishes six, the top six, I'll be through the moon for the guy. He'll have so much confidence for his 1500. He's been having great 1500 meters that year. And then um, when he skated his race, um, it was like a blur. I was just yelling my brains out. I actually broke the sign that I was, I was, I was on this railing and there was a sign in front of me and I broke that sign. I broke the zip ties right off cause I was banging on it so hard. And, um, yeah, when you cross the line, actually, yeah, when you cross the line, we knew we had a good race sitting in second place. And then, uh, once it was finalized and Danny was in it, I remember everyone jumping up around me and like, like grabbing me and like, you know, rubbing my head being like, yo, this, we did it. You did it, man. And I was just like, what just happened? Like this, this stuff only happens in Disney movies, man. Like right. this is crazy. I actually didn't even know. I, like, it, could, it felt like a dream at that point. And I don't know. I haven't won an Olympic medal uh, yet. Um, but I was like, I got, that got pretty close for me. <laughs> and it's just a phenomenal story. I'm, I'm just getting chills listening to you recount this uh, in such vivid detail. So thank you for that. Do, do you remember the, the first conversation you, you had with Denny after he had the silver medal draped around his neck? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I remember that the whole day, like it was yesterday. Like, so after, after everyone was like cheering, I was like, I got to get out of here. Like I, this is like Denny's moment. I just got to get out of here. So I went to the athlete lounge and it was like, it was empty there. And uh, I grabbed the apple juice and I was like drinking my apple juice. My coach at the time, um, he's like, Oh, I found you. And he just looked at me. He's like, you're, you're an amazing human being. He, and I was like, 
He's like, Denny, need, Denny wants to find, Denny wants to see you right now. And I'm like, oh, I don't have an infield pass. Cause to get to like, to that area, you have to have the infield passes. And he's like, no, you just need to go. And he gave me his accreditation and I just started running. And he, and he tried to like run with me, but he gave me his infield pass. So he couldn't come anymore. So at the security, he's like, he's like, no, I'm with him. Like our athlete just won a medal. And he's like, he's like, he has an infield pass. And they're like, no, 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 you can't go. And he, my coach is just like, go, go. So I'm bolting down the hallway and Denny's like right at the bottom. And oh man, I, I, he didn't even say anything. He was just like, he looked at me, he got a little teary eyed, gave me a hug and just said like, thank you, man. Thank you. And, um, I was just like, man, we did, like, you did it. Like, like this, I'm like, super proud of you. Like, congratulations. And he's just like, he was, he was in belief and just kept saying, thank you. Thank you. And then, um, he was like, dude, you got to stay with me while I get the medal. And then we went to the media zone together and then, yeah, we were just kind of attached at the hip for the, for the rest of like, you know, two years after that. Um, yeah. actually, well, I mean, we're still, we're still great friends and we keep in touch and, you know, I think even for me to relive this in my head, I'm like, oh man, I can't believe that actually happened. <laughs> yeah. Has, has there been anybody who's reached out to to you all about some type of made-for-TV movie? I mean, there, you have all of the elements here. I mean, you considered quitting. You were injured and almost forced off of the ice. You know, uh, here's the Canadian favorite in this race who falls in trials and technically didn't qualify. And then the, the last second, two days before the race happens, you're you're seeding your spot for, for Denny Morrison and he wins a silver medal. Uh, you know what? I, I haven't heard. I think <laughs> maybe there was one, like one email that I saw in my inbox and like some people were thinking about doing it and reserved their rights to the story. Um, but yeah, that's as far as I gone. So it, sh- it should this be is like, maybe, maybe this is a stage that we can just put that in the yeah, ether yeah. and, put it out to the world. <laughs> well, as, as you mentioned, Gil, we're visiting with Gil Junio, speed skater, two-time Olympian from Canada. Just a remarkable story. Thank you so much for, for getting into that. And that's the reason Mika wanted you on the show. I think there are so many <laughs> details here that Mika did not know, but uh, figured you, you would uh, divulge them here today. So yeah. thank you for that. And I know in, in the years that followed, you know, yeah, you're doing parades and you're on TV and all this attention between you and and Denny, but it was tough to divorce from the fact that, you know, Gil still has major Olympic aspirations at this stage. You don't want to be forever connected to that as the biggest moment of Gil Junio's Olympic career vicariously through a teammate and through this, this uh, selfless act. So for a while, from some of the articles that I'd read, you know, you were, you had been somewhat reluctant to talk about this because you still wanted things that Gil needed to accomplish in this sport. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm sensing as, as you tell the story here today that maybe that shifted, maybe the perspective has changed a little bit. And as we also know, Denny has had a number of physical issues with a major car accident and a stroke a couple of years ago that perhaps has reshaped the, the perspective maybe in, in your mind about uh, your connection to this story. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, I think, well, I mean, it comes in every way because I mean, that story is so special and something that, you know, I'll never forget for sure. And something that'll live on, but you know, those years after it was a lot of, you know, we did so many things where it was just like, <laughs> it was funny because of coming home. So many people said, Oh, you're the Olympian. And I'd go uh, amongst one of 
10,000 Olympians in the country right now, but they're like, no, you're the guy that gave up the spot. And so I dealt with a lot with that. And, you know, in the, and like you said, I had like such, I still wanted to be a really good speed skater. So a lot of the narrative, narrative became, you know, me being that more than just the guy that gave up the spot. And for Denny, he, you know, he moved on from just like that guy to, you know, he wanted to make his legacy and then he got in his accident. So he became a story about the comeback on how he's going to do this. And then he had a stroke. And, and so our, the story just kind of like, I want to say fizzled out, but became so much, became very different things for Denny and I leading into 2018. Um, and, you know, still looking back now and now that like Denny's like retired from speed skating. And now I'm like, you know, in my last couple of years, it's, you know, we still look back at like, the glory days of those, you know, we say the glory days of those four years from 2010 to 2014, of just like such a special moment that we look back on the story very fondly now, because it, again, like I've said earlier, it was, it sums up those four years, but um, you know, definitely. Yeah. It was, it was, it was tough during those, those 2014 to 2018 of getting away from the story and then retelling it and retelling it. But I, I love telling the story because it's great. It's, it's fun. It's, you know, hopefully it's a good lesson for people, but you know, there's only some, I guess there were some people like, man, he's still milking this for you know, three years later. <laughs> like I, I want to give them another story of being like a really good speed skater and yeah. winning or something like that. So, well, so how important is that to, to you and how you define your career whenever, whenever the day comes where you hang up the skates, because we, we talked with uh, Evany Blondine several months ago and it is very emotional for her, especially coming out of Pyeongchang where she was favored to win a medal or two and did not. Um, that, mm -hmm. that is a craving for her that she almost feels the need to win a medal to justify, you know, cement her standing in the sport. I'm not saying that's the case. It doesn't need to be the case. It certainly doesn't mm -hmm. need to be the case with you. But is that how big of a motivating force is that for you to get on the stand uh, on your own? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, I've always, when I look back at the legacy that I want to leave as a speed skater, at least on the team, is I want people to remember me as being really fast, for sure. And I think that's where that winning comes along. And, um, you know, I think I've had a lot of great moments in my career, won medals and set records and, whatnot but definitely like standing on the podium at the olympics or standing on the podium more is like you know there's nothing wrong with that for sure but you know something that i realized and i mentioned this when i first got into speed skating is that the, the for me why speed skating was largely about that community factor mm -hmm. and the people in the sport and you know i like i said now it's like what can i do to help the next generation. And I take a lot of pride in, in that and helping like the younger skaters try to figure out this world of professional speed skating and be faster. And so they, they can win their own. Once I retire, I can look back at my speed skating career and say, it wasn't for a waste because, you know, this skater came out of training with me and won a medal, you know, and like, I'll, I'll, I can be happy with that. Or, you know, if, if it comes to, you know, a couple of years down the line, 10 years from now, you know, they're still have, they have a drill named after me or, you know, people are remembering <laughs> watching my races on YouTube, just being like, Oh, watch, like you got to watch a Gil Junior race because of how he took this corner. His starts are like some of the best, you know, that'll be a successful career for me. And, um, you know, I got in the sport because it was fun. 
it was just fun going around in circles. And I still, like I said, feel like a kid. You know, I'm like, I'm a kid, yeah. a bigger kid now, yeah. just still skating in circles and having a blast doing it with, you know, my teammates. And uh, it's that I will never look at my career as a, a waste. <laughs> nor, nor should you. And then we're, or, we're grateful that you've shared nor, it all with uh, us. <laughs> just a couple yeah. of couple <laughs> of final questions for you gil and again thanks sure. so much for your time and as folks may or may not know with the long track speed skating history in canada 11 medals have been won by canadian long trackers but in the 500 which is gil especially no golds yet one silver two bronze hopefully in 2022 that will mm-hmm. be changed uh gil as we begin to wind things down here i wanted to get back to hockey for a second and just a a, a little dig at your calgary flames how much how how much will it mean to you? Now, I grew up in Chicago as a Cubs fan and as a Northwestern Wildcats fan, Big Ten. And Northwestern in football okay. sucked for decades and decades up until the mid-90s when they shocked the country and took the Purple of Pasadena and the Rose Bowl and they were undefeated this season. As a Cub fan, they went over 100 years without winning the mm-hmm. World Series. The Calgary Flames, there's a reason I'm connecting this. The Calgary Flames' only Stanley Cup championship occurred the year before you were born you were born in 1990 they won it in 1989 they have not yeah. raised lord stanley's cup since how much do you need the flames to win a stanley cup at some point in the next 80 years oh man it would be the best thing ever um <laughs> you know i love the playoff runs when they get in the, when they do get in the playoffs i love the playoff runs and i love the flames um but I don't know, and I, I wonder, especially for a Cubs fan who's did it for eighty, like for eighty years, yeah. something like this happened. Like you get so used to the heartbreak that it's like every year, mm-hmm. it's like, oh well, happened again, happened again. Oh, we'll just go to next year. Yep. But one of those years, it's gonna happen, <laughs> and you're gonna be able to celebrate. <laughs> and when that day comes, I'm gonna be on the Red Mile, Seventeenth Avenue, with my jersey, with my flag, ready to party my face off. So your but, celebration um, is already planned. Oh yeah, one thousand. I have, I have like a, I have my spot already on Seventeenth Ave, ready planned and ready to go. So you know, when the Flames win the Stanley Cup, yeah. soon, the next couple of years, mm-hmm. hopefully, crossing my fingers, yeah. we got our goalie, we have our players, we got our guys. Hopefully, it's going to be soon. But uh, and for somebody who's never you know, been to Calgary, I, is, is a lot of people don't know this, but when I was younger, I was pretty like a hot-headed. Seventeenth Avenue is like it's it's right on the street of the of our arena. There so you if you come out of the Saddle Dome, if mm-hmm. you come out of the Saddle Dome, you pour onto Seventeenth Avenue okay. right away. So it's like, you know, once once we win with Stanley Cup, that's where everyone's going to party, mm-hmm. and then they're probably going to have the parade down there as well. So. You know, it, it's, um, I'm still waiting. Hopefully it's going to happen soon. But uh, yeah. like, like, you know, you just get used to the heartbreak sometimes. Right. That you just got to prepare yourself for the surprise. Yeah, well, the, 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 surprise. the Cubs motto was, <laughs> you know, wait till next year. And then in 2016, next year is here. So you can yeah. borrow that when it happens for the Perfect. Flames. I'm going to keep um, that one in my back pocket. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, one last question about 2014. When you were in Sochi, Team Canada won the hockey gold on the men's side beating the U.S. in the semis, mm-hmm. shutting out Sweden in the finals. Were you there? I mean, did you have a chance to watch that in person? Yep. Yeah, I was at that game. Um, it was right before closing ceremonies. But, yeah, Danny and I actually went together and watched the game. Perfect. And, holy cow, that was like – just that hockey was such high level, but Canada was so good that game. Yeah. Just, yeah, killed, killed those guys. And, but, yeah, it was really – that was a really cool time to watch. And, you know, to be around some of those guys that had watched on TV for a yeah, long yeah. time. 
It was really cool. I remember when I met Sidney Crosby, I hit him with the, he said, he said, Hey, my name's Sid. And I said, Hey, my name's Gil. How's it going? <laughs> that <laughs> same Sidney so Crosby cool. is yeah, the, yeah. Uh, he scored a goal yeah. in that uh, gold medal game against Sweden. Yeah. He's what the, the captain of the Pittsburgh Penguins yeah, yeah. right now. Yeah. Introduce himself yeah. as Sid. Sid. Like, oh yeah. Sidney, do you, what sport do you do? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you look, you do look familiar. Yeah, didn't we walk in the ceremony? Weren't you way in the back <laughs> yeah. somewhere, Gil? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. But yeah, that was awesome. All right. Hey, so last sets of questions for you for Gil Junio of Canada. So we, we teased this at the top. The reason you're on the show is from Evany to Mika and now to you. And it's the who's next segment, which means, mm-hmm. you know, we heard your story. We've heard Mika's story. It can be an athlete from Team Canada. It can be somebody from your sport. It can be somebody internationally. Uh, who has that story yeah. that, that uh, you think the fans would really enjoy to come on here on the show? You know, two guys are popping up in my head right now, but I, because I had mentioned him earlier, I'm going to recommend um, Holvar Lorentzen, Olympic gold medalist from Norway. So I'm going to actually send it back to Scandinavia. Sure. <laughs> for Mika to me to back to Scandinavia. You're, you're killing my sleep. But yeah, here, he has Gil. a great story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, he has a great story of just resilience and how, how we got from being a long distance specialist to the winner of the sprint at mm-hmm. the, at the 2018 Olympics and, you know, awesome guy. Uh, and you can hear from his mouth first that I, I carry him to wins in call of duty. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, uh, yeah, Hovard Lorenzen will be one. You, you mentioned there might be another one. You have two choices. Mm-hmm. Who's the other? Oh uh, yeah. And then, um, my other one is probably, uh, Jesse Lumsden, bobsledder from Canada. Uh, former football player for the Seahawks and the Hamilton Tiger Cats and the Calgary Stampeders. And um, yeah, turned into a bobsledder and a good buddy. He's on my hockey line uh, on our beer league hockey team when we get to play beer league hockey. And um, yeah, my protector because I get into some trouble sometimes. So <laughs> all around great guy. Love him. Has a great, great, great story um, from the world of football and bobsledding. And um, yeah, so those are my those are my two picks. Hopefully, you can get in contact with one. Well, of I tell you what, yeah, if, if you can help set this up and facilitate it, uh, we For would sure. love to get them Absolutely. on the show. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that you still channel your hot headedness of your seven uh, seven year old uh, <laughs> hockey career. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. All right. Absolutely. <laughs> And I, by the way, I've, I've broken a finger punching a wall after I missed, I was a big bowler and tennis player growing up. When I missed yeah. a 10 pin in a tournament that cost me a win, <laughs> I was on lane one, the wall was to my left, missed a 10 pin, turn around, boom. And that was when I was 14 and the finger is still dislocated yeah. now. It's just out of whack. Yeah. yeah. I can brick, appreciate that. Brick walls always win. <laughs> you gotta look for drywall. Send a drywalled missile that way, but never hit a brick wall. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Last sets of questions. Time for the top three for Gil Junio. And I don't know that you've listened to this. So there's going to be five rapid fire top three questions for Gil Junio. Some of these may have been submitted by your friend Mika Putula. So here we go. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) We'll start with the easy one. Your top three favorite Lego sets. Oh, Okay, my top three Lego sets. I got one when I was younger. Top one, my Star Wars pod, pod racer set that I got when I was like 12 years old. Second one, my Batman tumbler, And then the Aston Martin DB7 from the mm-hmm. James Bond. And do you still have these put together or did you put them together and take them apart many times? Uh, the pod racer one is dismantled because you can never trust Lego with an 11 year old. Um, <laughs> the tumbler and the Aston Martin I built when I was like in my 20s and they're still together. And uh, it display pieces 
<laughs> All right, great. All right, I'm uh, proud of that. As you should be. My gosh. All right, um, we didn't get into your guitar playing, but now I want Gil Junio's top three favorite guitarists. Guitarists. Oh God. Um, up there, John Mayer, uh, Keith Urban, mm-hmm. and um, this. Can I say Flea, even though he's a bassist? Sure. I'm not going to know the Flea, difference. I just like. I just like <laughs> like the way he performs. All right, very good. Um, next top three. Top three, we didn't get into your uh, magician ability either, but oh I did read on Team Canada that uh, you do have some, yeah. some magic ability in your background. Your top three favorite magicians or tricks. Oh, okay. Would that be better? Magicians and or oh, tricks. My, I can go with magicians. Um, well, so top one is the guy that got me into like wanting to do magic. And it was our buddy, my buddy, uh, my buddy Roy. Um, and then next is Jason Flom, who's done some Instagram stuff for the NHL. And mm-hmm. then David Blaine has to be up yeah. there just cause he's insane. And like he, he goes out on that line between magic and just like human will, which is yeah. crazy. But, uh, yeah, just, a, just a touch on the magic was, I did it because it was a way for me to get off my computer in the preparation for the Olympics. There you go. All and right, then I spent more time on my computer looking at magic tricks. So it's funny how that all worked out. <laughs> yeah, I guess if you are channeling your, your best David Blaine, how long could you, could you uh, survive in a box underground for, you know, weighed down by poured cement? <laughs> uh, I, you, t- you wouldn't be finding me in that box. <laughs> I would probably get in. You, I wouldn't be getting into the box, like being buried. I would be in the box and out of the box. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, no, this yeah. isn't going to work for me. <laughs> it's not a Guinness World Record when it's one half of one second. All right. So uh, f- fourth question for Gil yeah, Junio. Yeah. Your top three computer <laughs> exactly. games. Top three computer games. Ooh, top three computer games. Um, all-time favorite. It's uh, one called Diablo from Blizzard Entertainment. Loved it from when I was a kid. Uh, NHL, all the NHLs growing mm-hmm. up, played them against my brother. He whooped my butt, but I still loved playing. <laughs> and then last one, probably I'll go with World of Warcraft. It's okay. kind of what I'm playing right now. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's less rage-inducing than Call of Duty, which is kind of fourth, maybe third. But I've had okay. better days playing World of Warcraft than playing Call of Duty. <laughs> all right. And the last question, this one also comes from Mika. Your top three for Gil Gionio. Top three marvel comic characters oh why do you have to do more like marvel i mean he, he knows he was my very favorite specific. batman <laughs> he knows because he knows my favorite superheroes batman and this is just his way to dig at me for mm. saying Mar- saying marvel superheroes but I'll, I'll give my marvel ranking list <laughs> uh my marvel ranking list is um i really liked iceman um from the x-men mm-hmm. next one is probably iron man suits are cool and then uh last one spider-man just because okay he's like the classic there we go but All right. yeah and uh, just the the, the bonus <laughs> so one, one last bonus question as we let gil go is uh, i was looking on your instagram back in june you did an als awareness video which i thought was just phenomenal and it was you alongside a kitchen table, a red plastic cup at the end of the kitchen table. You're holding a hockey stick, bouncing an orange ping pong ball on it. And in midair, after like 12 or 13 bounces on the stick, you flick it across the table right into the cup. Gil, there is no way that happened on one take. How many did it take? <laughs> um, I actually think it was like my fourth or fifth try 1000 percent. being completely honest 
like fifth shot he nailed it and i was just like oh my gosh thank goodness that went in because i probably could have been there for an hour but yeah it only it didn't take that long very impressive yeah. impressive <laughs> athletic skills you could have had a flames career based on that alone i was still waiting i was waiting for my call i was waiting for my call from the gm yeah we'll, we'll send it to the gm to come to practice <laughs> <laughs> gail hey again i can't can't thank you enough for your time great stories and Again, thanks for all the great details and, every, and everything that, that you've meant, not, not only to Team Canada, but to the Olympic spirit, as I mentioned at the, at the outset. I don't know of many other athletes who would have had the, the, the foresight and the selflessness to even, even contemplate doing what you did, but it is a gift that keeps on giving to all Olympian hopefuls around the world. So we're, we're so grateful to hear your uh, details on that story. Yeah, thanks for thank you for doing that, and thanks for having me. It's been it's been a lot of fun. All right, absolutely. So a huge thanks to Canada's Olympic speed skater Gil Gionio for hanging out with us today. As a reminder, you can hang out with us all over Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and you can download on the podcast as they become available on Apple, Google, Pandora, iHeart, TuneIn, Spotify, and Stitcher. So for Gil and our entire crew, I'm Patrick Keenis. Thanks to all of you for hanging with us on Hang With Champions.